Hey everyone, it's Adam. I know this is weird. We never really speak before the opening credits, but Christina and I decided that it was really important to take a quick moment to acknowledge the current state of affairs in our country, uh, especially as it involves gun violence, which is something that we will talk a little bit about today on this episode of the New York Mystery Machine. We saw really awful acts of violence over the last few weeks. Um, the first occurring in Buffalo, New York, the exact location as the case that we're chatting about today, dealing with the gun, and the other one in Uvalde, Texas, uh, which dealt with the the awful loss of so many young children. Mass shootings in our country are at an all-time high, and the use of militarized weapons is the cause of most of them. We can't remain silent any longer. I know a lot of us haven't been very silent about it. Some of us have been speaking out for years, and we have to continue to put pressure on our leaders, to put pressure on our government officials, to call for new restrictions in buying, purchasing guns. Uh, it's the only way that we can combat this awful epidemic that's plaguing our nation and taking away so many of our loved ones. Again, today's episode of the New York Mystery Machine will cover an act of violence done by a gun, but it was important to Christina and I that we did take a quick moment to acknowledge the world around us, to acknowledge the loss of so much humanity over the last month, not to mention over all the last years that this has been happening in our nation. We need to do better. We need to make sure our leaders do better. So on behalf of Christina and I, we are sending all of our, our love and our energy to the victims' families who have to live in a world without their loved ones in it. But more than thoughts and prayers and love and light, we need to send our messages to our elected leadership. I know that you are all listening from all different places all over this country. Take a moment, contact your elected officials, tell them that we want to see a change. A change is something that needs to happen, and it's the only way that we can combat this growing epidemic. Take care and enjoy the show. Welcome to New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. You know, I'm really surprised that 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 continued for 40 plus episodes. I the, am... first, the first time it came about, mm -hmm. it was a. I felt like it was a, a joke. It was, and that like we wouldn't. And then I just, now it, then like, I did it again. <laughs> yeah, like now people literally like when I talk about the show, they're like, "Oh my god, Tammany Hall for ghosts." That's really funny. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I don't even think it's that funny. I think it's hilarious. Well, I know you do. <laughs> I thought the moment was funny. The moment was very funny. That's why I like, think it's oh, funny. Oh, like Tammy Hall, but for ghosts. Right. I got it. And that... <laughs> but for someone who doesn't even know our show, they'd be like, if like you walked around with a Tammy Hall for ghosts t-shirt on <laughs> with our logo on it, they'd be like, what does that, what does that mean? <laughs> like if you, like if, it's, if a history professor saw you wearing a Tammy Hall for ghosts shirt. If, it, but... 
if it also had the New York Mystery Machine on it, I would expect this history professor to go, oh, I get that. That's clever, you. Oh, yeah, word. That makes sense. I don't know. It was just really... I was just thinking about... It is bizarre that this has lasted this long. Yeah, and it's going to last forever. Like, right, it's not no, going to go anywhere. Just, um, you're all stuck with it. But it's just so weird that that ended up being our thing. Like, our catch... <laughs> like, our... Our tagline. The tagline was tagging So, no, we had a tagline, then just kept going. I'm like, oh, this is our really our thing. Anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. Hi, everyone. Um, <laughs> exciting times around where... As, as we said last week, we're rapidly approaching season one finale, yeah. heading into season two with some all new fun stuff in season two. Season two is going to have a lot of really cool new things. Um, in addition to these these awesome stories, we also have um, interviews lined up. We have a lot of really cool, uh, interesting things coming about. So um, really excited for, for season two to pop up. And season two will premiere uh, on July the 11th. Crazy. Um, we're only giving ourselves a one week off break. <laughs> Christina did not approve of that. It's like, what if we took like a couple? Christina was like, can we take like a month off? Like I said, month. we'll lose our listenership. So no. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> uh, no, we're just going to take a, a week off. Um, and the goal is that, I mean, we've done a really good job in the last mm. few, oh, few weeks yeah. of writing. Well done, so like, we're in a good place right now. So yeah. like, we'll be. Now like, it feels doable. Yeah. <laughs> Ask me in three weeks if it still feels doable. Yeah, right. <laughs> but we're really excited. Um, also, it's going to be a thousand degrees in here over the summer, guys. So oh, get ready for just every episode. Christina going, God, Adam, it's so warm in here. Can we just open a window? Can I we know. open a window, Adam, please? I know. But when we're trying to, you know, you guys know we're trying to, to, to redo this, the recording studio. And the recording studio as it stands now is it's a small room. Um, and there is a window, but the recording studio is in Williamsburg, Brooklyn <laughs> on a busy street. Um, and so if you open that window... It's it you you open yourself up to a lot of noise and so um Rich if you have any suggestions to how to make a small boxed room <laughs> cool um without loud fans maybe there's something send them our way if there's any idea like if there's fans that don't make noise we're open to suggestions um some really fun stuff we have a new patron a new patron that we didn't get a chance to to mention on the show a couple of weeks ago they've been a patron for a couple of weeks but um but we we, were so good that we got ahead of ourselves in recording we recorded so so now we get a chance to introduce them to the world and our new patron her name is christina kosha weiss christina kosha weiss um who's who's really (laughs) sweet um she even sent us a really really nice message when she first signed up and i wanted to read it (laughs) <laughs> and I wanted to read it. And uh, Christina had said, hi, Adam and Christina. Just want to let you know that I've already received my sticker from being your second listener of the month because she was a listener of the month, which is amazing. So please save my patron sticker for one of your future patrons. I'm certain that there will be many, many more to come. Keep up the great pod. And Adam, I hope you have new headphones very soon. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. Welcome to the to the team. Welcome to the community. We're so happy to have you. Um, and while we're at it, I think it's really important to just make a note of uh, all of our patrons. Yeah, why not? Doing so well. And so uh, let's go ahead and thank our, our oldest patron, our founding patron, Jordan Fagan, uh, Sam McKelvey, Christian Lee Branch, Carla Crawford. Um, Anne-Marie Mace and Christina Kosha-Weiss. 
the, Thank you, the everyone. current patrons of the show. And if you want to be a patron, you guys know what to do. You head over to patreon.com slash Machine For as little as $3 a month, you can be a patron. For as little as 5 you get a, a bonus episode that no one gets to listen to every single month. Um, so, you know, it's win, win, win. Or win. almost every other month sometimes when we don't do it one month because we ran out of time and then we just do double up on a month. Yeah, it won't be this month. This month we're going to do it. Okay. I think. Anyway. Yep. Well, here we are. Where where are we, Adam? Well, you know, today's Memorial Day, and um, so in in the spirit of Memorial Day, I wanted to to look for things that are kind of rooted. And I know Memorial Day is really in memory of people who have given the country service in the military. Yeah. And um, the subject of today did spend some time in the military, okay. though the, the 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 portion of the of his story isn't about his time in the military. Okay, it's about his time in something a lot, you know. Larger than the military, even. Oh. But we'll get there in just... Well, larger than the military-industrial complex. What? But we'll get there in just a moment. Okay. Christina, I have a question for you. Uh-oh. What is the difference between murder and an assassination? Ooh. A murder. I, okay. Oh, wait. Hold on. You know what? I'm going to rephrase what I was going to say. I'm going to say that all assassinations are murders, but not all murders are assassinations. So if you assassinate someone, that is because um, you that you are actively um, opposing them on perhaps political or religious or some sort of social ground and you are you are killing them as a, a statement uh, they have power of some kind or are leading something and if you murder someone well you can murder anyone and it's a murder well I'd say you that was like, pretty good? darn good nailed on the head spend a lot of time thinking about murder these days at mm. <laughs> so what I did was um, to find this answer I went to a website called Wickdiff dot com, which is a real website in which you can <laughs> write what's the difference between these two things. You type oh, in the cool. two things and it tells you. Oh, I love that. Um, and it told us um, this. It said that uh, assassinate is a synonym of murder. As verbs, the difference between assassinate and murder is that assassinate is to murder someone, especially an important person, by sudden or obscure attack, especially for ideological or political reasons. Hey. While murder is to deliberately kill persons or persons. Um, and there's no real reason that you need to get for that. You just did it. So you're right. Hey. Assassination. Sometimes I know things. Assassination is usually someone of more notoriety. Right. Um, and it's usually because of some sort of belief mm-hmm. um, issue that they have. And uh, there it is. Well, today we're remembering the assassination of a president. Oh. And this assassination is pretty unique. Um, and you're saying, what, is, what president was assassinated in New York. It's a New York podcast. Right. Well, we're getting there. Now, Christina, pop quiz. It's, oh, it's, no. a, it's a big Christina day. Oh, boy. How many presidents have been successfully assassinated? Successfully assassinated. Successfully assassinated. Two. 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 Successfully. One. Hold on. <laughs> and again, to recap. This feels like a trick Assassination question. is... You you aim to kill someone right. and they eventually die from that attempt to kill them. Two. Well, you do know we're doing a podcast today, an episode about right, an assassination so, that took place in New York. Yeah, so two. Well, no, four. Oh, wait a minute. Who else died? <laughs> so Abraham Lincoln famously right. died in Washington, D.C. Oh, God, three. Three. Well, it's still four. You can still say three if you want. Lincoln was shot by, by John Wilkes Booth in, in D.C. at the Ford's yeah. Theater. Um, Kennedy was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald or others uh, in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Um, 
President Garfield was murdered. Garfield! I always forget about Garfield. Mar- uh, was murdered by Charles Gateau. And today's topic, <laughs> William McKinley, who was shot and killed in Buffalo, New York. You know, after about the year 1000, I, did not, I don't have any... I did not understand the sequence of events that just took place. <laughs> that you know for a fact Lincoln and, and, and Kennedy were both assassinated. <laughs> and you knew for a fact I'm not talking about either of them today. And yet you went with two. <laughs> It's okay to forget Garfield. It's okay. Like I would accept if you if you had said three confidently. I said, "Ooh, oh, that's a pretty very close. pretty close." You missed Garfield because you knew I was doing Bill McKinley. Well, <laughs> well, there. <laughs> there you go, guys. Christina doesn't know her history <laughs> or logic. <clears throat> now here's the thing: every single president mm-hmm. has actually survived some sort of assassination attempt. Every single president. Every single president. Huh. In fact, Lincoln was almost assassinated two times before Booth eventually succeeded in doing the job. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some presidents have, have had much closer calls than others. And yeah. these are the ones that we hear about. And these are the ones we remember. But it's, it's, it's proven that every single president of the United States of America, at one time or another, has been threatened with assassination. Yeah, um, every single day, um, you know, someone is, is talking about why they want to kill Joe Biden. Right. Like, it's a real thing. And, you know, the the FBI, this is an FBI case, the FBI is combing through those yeah. those threats and seeing if they're valid threats right. or not valid threats. If, you know, when the president goes someplace and they comb through right. the world, they're like, is this a real thing we have to worry about or is this not something we need to worry about? Yeah. Some, again, some have had closer calls than other calls. Two assassins would cause injuries to the president. Uh, on October 30th, 1981, as Ronald Reagan returned to his limousine after speaking at the Washington Hilton Hotel, uh, would-be assassin John Hinckley Jr. fired six gunshots towards him, mm. striking him and three others. Reagan was seriously wounded by a bullet that ricocheted off the side of the presidential limousine and hit him in the left underarm, breaking a rib, puncturing a lung, and causing serious internal bleeding. Although close to death, Upon arrival at George Washington University Hospital, Reagan was stabilized in the emergency room and then underwent emergency uh, exploratory surgery. Wow. And survived it. Then there's Theodore Roosevelt. Yep. Um, Now, though he was no longer president, technically, this was after his his, um, uh, tenure as the president of the United States, he was back in the running for president. This is after the whole Taft debacle. Right. Okay. Um, God, history nerds. <laughs> um, so TR is campaigning in Milwaukee, Wisconsin to, to, to go for another term on October 14th, 1912. And John Flaming Schrank shoots him once in the chest with a 38 uh, caliber cult police positive special. Um, the 50 page text of his campaign speech titled progressive cause greater than any individual was folded over twice in his breast pocket and his metal glass case uh, was also there, and the combination of the two saved his life. That's incredible. The bullet hit the hit that and um, um, and spared his life. That's incredible. He spoke for eighty four minutes before completing his speech and accepting medical. Oh attention. my gosh! <laughs> his opening comments to the gathered crowd were, "Quote, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether fully you understand that I have just been shot, but it takes a lot more than that to kill a bull moose." Damn. Uh, the bullet had lodged in Roosevelt's chest muscle, but did not penetrate the pulmonary uh, pleurae. Uh, mm-hmm. Doctors concluded that it would be less dangerous to leave it in place to attempt to remove it, and Roosevelt carried the bullet in his chest for the rest of his life. Wow. Fascinating. 
Other assassins have failed to get a hit at all. On September 5th, 1975, uh, at the California State Capitol, uh, Lynette Squeaky Frome, who was a follower of Charles Manson, drew her 45 uh, millimeter pistol on Gerald Ford when he reached out to shake her hand. Uh, she had four cartridges in the pistol's magazine, but none in the firing chamber. And as a result, the gun didn't fire. Wow. Uh, she was quickly restrained by Secret Service. And that was that. Sent to jail. Uh, and on September 22nd, uh, literally just a couple of weeks after, uh, in San Francisco, California, uh, Sarah Jane Moore fired a revolver at Ford from two meters away. Uh, and a bystander grabbed Moore's arm and the shot missed Ford and uh, hit a wall and injured a taxi driver. And so Ford, in a period of two weeks, managed to defy death and assassination. In addition, Reagan, in addition to Reagan and Ford and TR, there have been records of serious attempts to assassinate uh, Presidents Jackson, Taft, Hoover, FDR, Truman, JFK, with obviously the second attempt being successful, Nixon, Carter, uh, H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, uh, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. There's even an incredible musical about the many presidential assassination attempts called Assassins. It's by Stephen Sondheim, John Wildman. Wildman. It's one of my favorite Sondheim musicals, one of my favorite musicals of all time. Today's story actually features in that musical. So with that, let's talk about William McKinley. You can sing it for us? We'll get there. Okay. McKinley was the son of William McKinley Sr., a manager of the charcoal furnace and small-scale iron founder, and Nancy Allison. McKinley Sr. operated foundries throughout Ohio, New Lisbon, Niles, Poland, and finally Canton. The McKinley household was like uh, was like many Ohio rest- Western Reserve. They were steepish and Whiggish and abol- abolitionist sentiment, the latter based on the family's staunch Methodist beliefs. McKinley Jr. was 18 years old at the start of the Civil War. He enlisted in an Ohio regiment under the command of Rutherford B. Hayes, the 19th president of the United States. So many presidents making appearances yeah. in, this, uh, in, this, in this episode. He was promoted to second lieutenant for his bravery in the Battle of Antietam. He was discharged uh, a brevet major in 1865. After returning to Ohio, he studied law. Admitted to the bar in 1867, opened a law office office in Canton, where he resided uh, the rest of his life, except for when he spent time in D.C. Mm-hmm. as president. Uh, although he would not end his life there, he would end his life in New York. In New York. In 1877, he began his long career in Congress as a representative in Ohio's 17th district. He served in the House of Representatives until 1891, failing re-election only twice. Mm. Uh, and in 1882. He was temporarily unseated in a very close election in 1890 when when the Democrats gerrymandered his district. Mm. Good to know how long gerrymandering existed. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Um, He lost his seat in 1890, but with the help of a wealthy Ohio industrialist named Mark Hanna, McKinley won two terms as governor of Ohio. McKinley went on to win the presidential nomination in 1896. Um, The central... uh, the central issue of that campaign was the nation's money supply. McKinley ran on the Republican platform, emphasizing maintenance of the gold standard, while his opponent, William Jennings Bryan, the candidate of both Democrat and populist parties, called for the bimetallic standard of gold and silver. Isn't, isn't this, correct me if I'm wrong, when was The Wizard of Oz written? Wasn't this, wasn't it a, yeah. a, a, like a parable, not parable, a parable, parable, some allegory. Allegory. It was allegorical for this issue, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. 
Brian campaigned vigorously, traveling thousands of miles and delivering hundreds of speeches in support of the inflated currency that would help poor farmers and other debtors. McKinley, however, remained home in Canton, greeting visitors and delegations of Republicans on his front porch and giving carefully prepared speeches promoting the benefits of gold-backed currency. McKinley won the election easily and decisively, becoming the first president to achieve a popular majority since 1872 uh, and bettering Bryan 271 to 176 in electoral vote. Uh, emerging from decades of isolationism in the 1890s, America had already shown signs of wanting to be more assertive in the world stage. Under McKinley, the United States would become an empire. Now I know this is a mystery and true crime podcast, <laughs> and I seem to be getting into politics and policy, but I promise policy will lead to the true crime in this. And there's no greater crime than imperialism and the empire. Is you, that where F- we're going with are this? You FDR. <laughs> And there's no crime. (laughs) (laughs) The U.S. took part in the Spanish-American War during the McKinley administration, which led to an even more successful election uh, for a second term. Uh, This will lead to McKinley uh, taking a tour of the Western states to be concluded with a speech at the Pan-American Exposition in Buffalo, New York. And it is there that McKinley would meet his fate and a man named Leon Cholkov. Ooh. Choke off working man. Sorry, this is, I'm just going to sing Assassins the entire time. <laughs> Can you do the rest of this episode to Near the, the tune of... Right to the Pan-American Exposition in Buffalo. In Buffalo. Anyway. <laughs> um, while various sources, including police documents, list uh, Cholkov's uh, birthplace as Detroit, many claim that he was born in Alpena, Michigan. Hmm. His parents were immigrants and the family moved very often. In 1893, he was living in Cleveland where he worked at the wire mill. That year, wages were cut, resulting in a strike. He was fired and blacklisted, though he managed to get his job back the following year using a different name, Fred Neiman or Fred C. Neiman. The Polish-German surname translates as nobody, which is (laughs) effing clever. Very clever. The experience left him disaffected and increasingly focused on inequality between the wealthy and workers. In 1898, he quits his job. Over the next several years, Chokhov spent much of his time reading radical works, and he reportedly developed a fascination with anarchist Gaetano Bresci, who fatally shot Umberto I of Italy over the king's uh, repressive policies. Mm-hmm. In 1901, Chokhov became more involved in the anarchist movement, meeting Emma Goldman and members of the Liberty Club. Hmm. He believed that the haves and the have-nots were by design. And that's a philosophy still believed by large members of uh, America and society today. Yep. That, you know, people are poor by design. Like, the there's a reason why most people live paycheck to paycheck. And the difference between the middle class and those in poverty is basically one paycheck. Yeah. That you right. can literally slip in one paycheck from being a middle class person to being in poverty. Right. Very unstable. While it's a shit ton more checks in order to get from middle class to upper class yep. to become wealthy. Yep. yep. Those are just, yep. These are just facts so far. So far, this Chokoff guy doesn't seem so bad, does he? <laughs> <laughs> in the summer of 1901, Chokoff moved to Buffalo, New York. What a coincidence. Yeah. Buffalo's Pan American Exposition boasted everything from a nine ton elephant to a 389-foot electric tower powered by the nearby Niagara Falls. But few attractions had generated as much excitement as the two-day visit of President William McKinley. 
On September 5th, a record crowd of 116,000 people filed into the World's Fair to watch McKinley give a speech. Wow. That same evening, the Expo put on a patriotic fireworks display that culminated with a burst of pyrotechnics that spelled out the words, quote, Welcome President McKinley, Chief of Our Nation and Our Empire. So yeah, I mean like the idea of in fireworks being being placed being placed the the words the the leader of our empire. I know. McKinley's final scheduled appearance is at this expo and it began the following day September 6th when he attended a public meet and greet at the theater called the Temple of Music. My favorite part about I have to play clips of the assassin song. Yes, I please. know technically we're not allowed to, but we're not making money off of this episode. No, we're not. So and um, we can analyze. I'm, I'm gonna analyze it yeah. for a moment before I play it um, later. And but Sondheim just uses all of these um, things like the Temple of Music, the Tower of Light, the Pan American Exhibition, Buffalo, like so rhythmically. It's so clever. I just adore it. Um, <laughs> anywho. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, Adam is a, uh, a theater fan, <laughs> a theater you, professional. You, you, may, you, may, you may say that I've done this before. Hmm. <laughs> um, so he's at this meet and greet at the Temple of Music, and the commander in chief rarely misses opportunity to meet his constituents, right? Hmm. But this particular event had his staff members worried, okay. some of whom feared that an assassin may take an opportunity to strike. Because here's the thing. Um, the Coming out of the Spanish-American War, there are people who love McKinley and there are right. people who despise McKinley. There right. is loads of immigrants who do not like McKinley at yeah. all. And there's loads of Southern racists who hate McKinley for his like service in the Union Army. Like, right. he's a, he, he wins both elections by landslide, but only because his opponent does not run a great campaign, really. Yeah. And his opponent for both are the same. He runs at the same guy <sighs> twice and wow. loses twice. Right. But again, this is also a time where America won the Spanish-American War. And do we do we need to re- remind folks about the situation of the Spanish-American War? Do you know the Spanish-American War? Don't make me do it. Can you do it? Spanish-American War. Isn't that how we ended up with Puerto Rico and Guam and the Philippine Islands for a time? And Cuba for a while. And Cuba for a while. Yeah. Okay. Basically, um, one of the U.S. naval ships was um attacked yeah mysteriously and um in a nutshell that was an act of war in a nutshell that kind of just, and so we went in we just went in and we ended up walking away with a lot more than we started with mm-hmm. and america looked like a big old empire yeah and fun fact um despite being citizens uh there are so many imperial mechanisms still in place in guam and in puerto rico and our other holdings so yeah still remain technically Pretty. an imperial force Pretty fascinating <sighs> in a bad way. But anyway, yeah. So, like, you know, he's not liked by everybody, especially <laughs> the, the the lower working class yeah. who is trying to, like, just make it and yeah. is looking at America as this totalitarian nation no different than the one we left, right? right. No different than the British Empire. Mm-hmm. And once you call yourself an empire, even jokingly, <laughs> but, like, yeah. the guy had literally empire written in fireworks. Right. <laughs> Now remind me, the people who put Empire and Fireworks for him it's was that Pan-Amer- him no, doing it? It's no, it's American was... Exposition. Okay. Uh, but still, right? That's pretty. No, that's it. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, regardless of this, McKinley was like, you know, 
I'm still doing this. The presidential secretary, George B. Cartelu, even tried to cancel the reception on two separate occasions. But again, McKinley is like, I insist it remains on schedule and we're going to do it. So it's just that they were worried that somebody might be angry and take advantage of this moment. It's not that they had like, there wasn't, ah, yeah. we're getting tips, see? Yeah, it wasn't that. It was mostly the fact that um, he the exposition was anyone can go to this thing. Right. And it was, it's basically the world's fair. Right, right. So anyone in the world can come to this. That's the point of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's the world's fair of that year, for, you know, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. And if you don't know what world's fairs are, were, we don't really have them anymore. I think we do. Do we? I think the world's fair does exist. This seems like a, a, a quick tangent we can take. So I think the world's fair still lives on in an, in like a, a new form. So like there's still international expos. Um, according to a little Google search I just did, it seems that the most recent one was in 2017 in Kazakhstan. Um, and there was supposed to be one in the United Arab Emirates in 2020, but then a little thing called COVID hit. Oh, yeah. um, but in any case, of the time the world's fair really the the opportunity for people to to get caught up on the latest inventions. Yeah. Um, new things happening. New crazy technology. And so people from all over the world came to see that. It was a world's fair. And this was this, the form of this was called the the you know Pan American Exposition of Buffalo. Right. Um in any case, um McKinley says no, I'm going through with this. And that decision was the wrong one to make. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to find out why that decision was the wrong one I've to make. I've got theories. <laughs> I'm sure you do. We'll be right back. If you ever look at our logo, you may notice a cute, furry, black and white creature hanging out the window. That's Ted. When he's not hanging out inside the New York Missing Machine, Ted is enjoying treats from BarkBox. BarkBox is the dog-obsessed company that's devoted to one goal, making dogs happy. It's a monthly subscription, totally customized box of themed toys and treats for your furry friends. BarkBox provides the best products, services, and content for pups and their people. Every box brings your dog more than $40 worth of toys and treats. Your first box ships immediately. Plus... BarkBox offers a 100% happy guarantee. If your pup isn't happy with their BarkBox, they'll work to make it right. So are you ready to spoil your pup with a BarkBox of their very own? If so, head over to www.barkbox.com slash nymysterymachine. If you use our exclusive link, you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox valued at $35 when you sign up for multi-length plans. Okay, okay, Tedward. I'll say it again for them. Head to www.barkbox.com slash nymysterymachine and get your pup some treats today. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff such as mini episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries. But how would you like to solve your very own mystery? Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. 
Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery. Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer. So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NYMYSTERYMACHINE for 20% off the first box. That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NYMYSTERYMACHINE. Sign up now and begin the hunt. Bow, bow, bow. Okay, we're back. And when we last left off, Bill McKinley made the fatal decision to attend a meet and greet at the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo. In Buffalo. Um, so September 6th was a swelteringly hot day okay. on record. Um, there was also incredibly long lines of people waiting to meet the president when the reception began at 4 p.m. As the theater's organist began playing a Bach sonata, the visitors slowly filed in. Leon Cholkov stood near the front of the line. He waited with the gun. He waited with a gun wrapped in a white handkerchief concealed in his inside jacket pocket. Cholkov would later say, quote, It was in my heart, and there was no escape for me. All those people seemed to be bowing to the great ruler. I made up my mind to kill that ruler. Hmm. At around 4.07 p.m., McKinley extended his hands toward Cholkov who instead raised his pistol, still wrapped in a white handkerchief, and fired two shots at point-blank range. Yowza. The New York Times wrote of the moment, quote, There was an instant of almost complete silence, like a hush that follows a clap of thunder. The president stood stock still, a look of hesitancy, almost bewilderment on his face. Then he retreated a step while Pollard began to steal over his features. The multitude seemed only partially aware that something serious had happened. End quote. Yowza. Then, James Big Jim Parker, <laughs> a tall African-American man who had been waiting in line, punched Chalkov and prevented him from firing a third shot. Ooh! Good on Big Jim. Then a host of soldiers and detectives and um, people in the line pounced on the assassin and began beating him to a pulp. Wow. Literally everyone in line started kicking the crap out of him. Wow. In fact, it took an order from McKinley as he is laying Are you shot kidding? Um, for them to stop to finally have it cease. Wow. And with that, they dragged Chalkov from the room. But by then, blood was pouring from the president's stomach and darkening his white formal vest. My wife, he managed to say to Cartelio, be careful how you tell her. Oh, be careful. That's very sad. Now, ironically, Mm. you know, we mentioned before that at the exposition at the World's Fairs, when you get all these really cool inventions, it was at this expo that a primitive x-ray machine was being exhibited. Oh, However, they just wheel him right over? However, it wasn't oh, used. Damn. But you would think something like, I have something. <laughs> I've got I've got something. We should use my machine. Maybe he did. And everyone's like, yeah, no, not that newfangled thing. Instead, McKinley was taken to the home of John G. Milburn, president of the Pan American Exhibition Company. So, so Chalkov gets the shit kicked out of him and um, gets basically dragged off. Yeah. 
very proud of what he's done. No remorse at all. Um, and the president's rushed away. Hmm. Now, in the days after the shooting, McKinley appeared to actually improve. Mm-hmm. And the doctors issued increasingly optimistic bulletins. Members of his cabinet who had rushed to Buffalo on hearing the news started going back to D.C. Mm-hmm. And Vice President Roosevelt departed on a camping trip to the Adirondacks. Okay. Um, so wow, everyone was that's like, pretty taking it pretty chill. Yeah, McKinley's biographer Margaret Leach wrote the following quote: "It is difficult to interpret the optimism with which the president's physicians looked at for his recovery. Mm-hmm. There was obviously the most serious danger that his wounds would become septic. In that case, he most certainly die, since drugs to control infection did not exist." Prominent New York City physician Dr. McBurney was by far the worst offender in showering sanguine insurances onto the correspondents. As the only big city surgeon on the case, he was eagerly questioned and quoted, and his rosy prognostications largely contributed to the delusion of the American public. Ooh, wow. So everyone's thinking everything is fine. Right. That he's going to recover and just bounce back. Still incredible, though, that the vice president would be like, well... Good enough for me. I'm going to camp on now. Yeah. I mean, and also presidential assassins, assassinations didn't happen. I mean, it's tricky, right, to say they didn't happen because they kind of did happen Yeah. at this point. You know, Lincoln was the first time. Right. And then, you know, just 20 years before this, Garfield gets assassinated. And McKinley will be the third assassination that, you know, happens. Mm -hmm. But again, the idea of, uh, of presidents being assassinated is still pretty fresh and new um though these would all happen in a period of what 50 years yeah i was gonna say this seems like every it's like clockwork every 20 years for a little while there well things take a bad turn of course they do because (laughs) you're filling the public with bullshit yeah on the morning of september 13th mckinley's condition deteriorated unknown to the doctors gangrene was growing on the walls of mckinley's stomach and slowly poisoning his blood McKinley drifted in and out of consciousness all day. But when he was awake, he was alert and fully aware. Mm-hmm. But by the evening of that same day, even McKinley knew that he was dying. He would tell the doctors, quote, it is useless, gentlemen. I think we ought to have a prayer. Relatives and friends gathered around the deathbed. The first lady sobbed over him saying, quote, I want to go to, I want to go to. Oh. To which McKinley would reply, we are all going. We are all going. God's will be done, not ours. And with his final bit of strength, he put his arm around her. At 2.15 a.m. on September 14th, Bill McKinley dies. Theodore Roosevelt rushes back to Buffalo and takes the oath of office. Wow. Oh, that's so sad. That's very sweet, though. Those last moments. Yeah. And I mean, it's also fascinating to see what happens in the wake of this as... TR takes office. I also really do love that you have you're on an initial basis with a a TR. Teddy, it's TR, our friend TR. Um, I think a lot of people who are like are fascinated with American history, like does everyone call him TR? I, Am I just not in the club? I don't know. I call him I call him TR for short. TRs, Teddy Roosevelt. If I said to you, listener, TR, would you? No, you wouldn't. I would have no idea. You mean TI, right? Like <laughs> the, the artist, you know, and you know, and 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 Teddy Roosevelt or TR. You know, was very influential as in, in his seat as a president. You know, from the good things like his um, determination for for public par- for um, for national for park. national parks, um, 
and all he had done to preserve things such as the work he did for for the, the Museum of Natural History in New mm-hmm. York, um, but also did a lot of shitty things yeah. because he was kind of a white supremacist, yeah. but believed in like equality, but also but did, also not, but also not <laughs> like he would say I am like he was an abolitionist yeah. and he was like, but also like there was a case in 1906 where he had a he, he gave a dishonorable discharge to an entire regiment of black soldiers after an alleged riot in Brownsville and didn't let any of them um, actually testify and talk. Wow. So I mean, he also was not great in terms of I mean, he he perpetuated the the myth that the Native American peoples were were dying out and were no more and, and an and, imperialist right yeah, oh yeah he continued the he continued where McKinley leaves off in the idea of America being an empire yeah um so you know this event doesn't just affect the the life of McKinley but also the life of the country as a whole mm-hmm. as a lot of these assassinations do right mm-hmm. um if you look at every presidential assassination, the fallout from that assassination, when a president, you know, it's interesting because we we elect a president, but we also vote for a vice president. Mm-hmm. Would never, under the guise knowing that yeah. you know the, might happen, this may happen. Well, and to your point, LBJ coming in after JFK, um, yeah, you know, uh, and under him we get right the Voting Rights Act and all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, Johnson coming out after Lincoln and. You know, Lincoln wanted did not want severe punishment for the South, and Johnson ended up giving severe punishment to the South, mm-hmm. and that caused a lot of issues later on. A lot of it, which is deeply rooted in the the laws that would take over the South, including Jim Crow. So, like, it's interesting to see when a, when the presidential assassin succeeds and what comes of it. So, McKinley is dead. T.R. I pointed to Christina. Teddy Roosevelt is uh, is now the president of the United States of America, of America. Now, what happens to the assassin? Yeah, what happens to him? Leon Chokov was put on the, for put on trial for the murder nine days after McKinley's death. Mm-hmm. At the trial, he would say, "quote I killed the president for the good of the laboring people, the good people. I am not sorry for my crime." Ooh. He was initially thought to be part of a larger conspiracy. Um, His confession led to a sweeping roundup of political radicals. In -hmm. Chicago, a dozen staff members from the anarchist newspaper Free Society were arrested. On September 10th, police also picked up the anarchist uh, Emma Goldman, Mm. famous uh, Emma Goldman, whose whose speeches Cholkov had um, cited as key influences in his decision to assassinate McKinley. Goldman and the others were eventually released, and as it was eventually determined, Chokov did in fact act alone. He was found guilty, sentenced to death on September 26, Ugh. and executed by electric chair Ugh. on October 29, 1901. His last words were, quote, I killed the president because he was the enemy of the good people, the working people. His electrocution was allegedly filmed by Thomas Edison. Though McKinley would most definitely be overshadowed by a success for Theodore Roosevelt, his assassination prompted a worldwide outpouring of grief. In Europe, the British King Edward VII and other monarchs declared national periods of mourning for the fallen president. A sea of sympathizers later came to view McKinley's body as it lay in state at the Capitol Rotunda on September 17th, and whole cities ground to a halt to pay their respects as his funeral train passed by on its way to his final resting place in Canton, Ohio. In 1907, the president's remains were moved to a um, sprawling tomb complex featured featuring a domed mausoleum. 
The memorial includes a bronze statue that depicts McKinley giving his final speech at the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, September 5th, 1901. Wow. You know what is also really striking to me in this? The assassin, right? The assassin is um, convicted and executed within a month. It is real quick. This is real quick. Like, there's no, I mean. it's Oh, you killed him. You dead. Right. I was going to say, like, you know, I kind of expect like, a high profile, like lots of appeals and things. Like no, that. no he, he didn't. He was just like, yep. He didn't even want help from the state. Wow. He was very proud of what he did. He's like, I didn't, and I don't regret it. So Oof. do what you will. I did it for the people. Good Lord. And that is the assassination of Bill McKinley, um, the only presidential assassination to happen in New York. Um, and it happened in New York, it did. And as promised, I'm going to play a clip from the Battle of Cholkov from Assassins. <laughs> Cholgosh, angry man, said I will do what a poor man can. Yes, and there's nowhere more fitting than in the Temple of Music by the Tower of Light between the Fountain of Abundance and the Court of Lilies at the Great Pan-American Exposition in Buffalo. In Buffalo. Wrapped him a handkerchief around his gun Said nothing wrong about what I'd done Some men have everything and some have none That's by design The idea wasn't mine alone but mine And that's the sign In the USA you can have your say You can set your goals and seize the day You've been given the freedom to work your way To the head of the line NPH? That, that's, that's Neil Patrick Harris in the 2002 Broadway revival of Assassins. <laughs> Uh, presented by the Roundabout Theater Company. That was 30 seconds. Look at that. We're within our right. Damn if that isn't a catchy song. Uh, yeah, it's very catchy. And there you have it. And that is the assassination of President William McKinley by Leon Chokov. One of four presidential assassinations. As we learned on the show today. As we learned today. One of four presidential assassinations. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Adam. I'm glad that I could share it with you. And um, yeah. Well, um, there's really no theories you can give us about nope. this one. It was really, open and close, was, unless, unless you have a conspiracy theory, which I'm sure someone and I'm does. I'm open to it. I'm so open to it. But thanks for 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 tuning in today. Um, as always, please um, follow us on our socials at NY Mystery Machine on um, Facebook and Instagram at NY Mysteries on the Twitter, which we don't use enough, but we'll try. Yeah. We, every month we make a, a new pledge to use it more. We'll see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, again, be sure to like, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, all that jazz. Leave us a review. You could be our listener of the month if Ooh. you do so. So uh, make sure you do that. It'd be nice. We love hearing from you. The good and the bad. Because sometimes we do get the bad. We do get the bad. And we listen to it. We do. And we make note of it. We do. If you've ever wrote to us and said, here's something we don't like about you. We are well aware. And we it- look at it. We cry <laughs> for a moment. And we move forward. And we implement if we can. Well, it, yeah. You know. Some of it is just impossible. Yeah. I can't change Christina, folks. Nope. I tried. She tried so hard. She is what she (laughs) is. We have to accept her. (laughs) Screech and all. (laughs) All right. Uh, We're back next week as we roll on to our season finale. Uh, I've been Adam Mays. I've been Christina Marinelli. Thanks for taking a ride aboard the New York Mystery Machine. Tell me who, but for ghosts. But for the ghosts.